The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. One of the greatest miracles of 2020 was the extraordinary speed and efficacy of the vaccine programs from around the world. Yes, countries have been accused of vaccine apartheid. Some uh, of the uh, vaccines are more effective than others. Lots of issues to discuss this evening with Colin Cullis with Business Unusual. The mRNA vaccine, in small words, bite-sized chunks if you would, Colin Cullis, explain this miracle. I will do my best, but I, I can tell you that in trying to read the medical literature and try and understand it, it did take many, many readings to, to try and get there. Let's start with the word we do quite know, and that's DNA, the, the stuff that makes up who we are. And for this conversation, I'm going to say let's consider that to be like a recipe book. It contains everything we need to know about making ourselves, replicating ourselves, or fixing ourselves. One of the things we need to make are proteins. We use a lot of them. They regulate all sorts of amazing things in our body, and we produce a lot of the stuff. To make those proteins, there are different uh, parts of our cells that uh, go and fetch effectively a single recipe from our DNA. And that single recipe that is created by copying itself off of the DNA is called RNA. It then leaves out the, 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 the nucleus of the cell and goes into special other little uh, cells uh, in, in the body. Uh, and that's where the proteins are synth synthesized. So the idea about saying, can we make an RNA, or in this case, they call it mRNA, messenger RNA, vaccine, comes from an idea that the thing that allows our body to detect that a virus is in our body is usually something about the outside uh, of the virus contains a protein of some sort that allows it to get into our body. And in the case of the coronavirus, it was that spike protein that is unique to coronaviruses. And uh, by sequencing specifically that protein that makes that specific spike, they could say, well, if we can have the body be exposed to just that protein, not the virus, then our body will recognize that as something that shouldn't be in the body. And our defense cells, which keep a memory of these things, whenever they come across one, they will kill it. So as soon as you actually get an infection, it will detect that very soon on, uh, attack it before it can get into your cells, before it can get your cells, uh, sending a whole lot of the stuff through through your body and take care of it. To use a, a, a horrible movie analogy, because I hate zombie movies, but at a cellular <laughs> level, it's a pretty good description. Because the cells that effectively wind up you know, making you sick are your own cells. Viruses themselves are, are dead in that they, they have a genetic material, but they can't replicate themselves. They rely on us to do that. So the, the virus comes in, creates a zombie out of our otherwise would have been healthy cell. Our cell goes zombie, producing more virus. Those viruses go out, attack more good cells, turning them into zombies, and away we go. Now, if a few good cells try and take on a zombie apocalypse, they'll get wiped out, or worse, they'll get infected themselves. So what you need the body to do is to be aware that there is a, a, a coming tide of zombies, mount an impressive attack with all the good guys and their best weapons, and, and, and tackle them in one big wave. Now, usually when that happens, we feel very ill. It's the way of our body telling you, just sit still for a bit. We've got some work to do. Uh, and, and the less you go running about and doing your normal business, using up energy that could otherwise be expended taking care of these zombies, the better. It also notes that, you know, you're about to lose some functionality of your, of your body itself while they busy take out what otherwise would be in healthy tissue. And with COVID affecting our vascular system uh, which allows us to you know, get in oxygen is why that particular part of us is so susceptible if we exert ourselves or why people get into into these issues so there's a, a two bit that says use rna and then uh, create the proteins and fight off the vaccines brilliant you might have said why haven't we been doing this like this all along 
Uh, and we've got to give credit to uh, one woman, uh, Catalin Karinko, who 50 years ago said, yeah, this would be a great idea, only to have the rest of the world say, that won't work, for a very good reason. Viruses are RNA. Anytime you try to introduce RNA you want to put into the body, your body's going to say, what's this? And attack it and kill it pretty much the same way it would deal with uh, an actual virus that comes in. There is another thing, though, that your body... Uh, spots RNA uh, sort of in the wild as a woman, it's not in a cell, and, and, and gets rid of it very rapidly, is because it sloshes about sometimes with cancer. So for two reasons, our body, through millions of years of evolution, have wanted to not have RNA sloshing about in us, and, and prefers to have it neatly in the cells, and only when we actually pull it uh, from our DNA itself. So for the longest time, many people looked at it and said, don't think we're going to do that. And let alone her peers in the research community thinking it was doubtful we could overcome the obstacles to get this right. Funders were even more reticent because it is a very big hill to climb. But slowly, slowly over time and with other people thinking that, you know, if only we could get this right, it would be amazing. Uh, they started to get a couple of breakthroughs. Uh, and one of them, and she's, she's got a couple herself, and she was uh, uh, associated with the BioNTech and, and, and the Moderna sort of rollouts with these sorts of things, uh, had to try and say, how do we keep the, the RNA uh, viable? Because this is a tiny little piece of, 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 of genetic material. And this is why for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, they have to be kept so incredibly cold. Uh, it's, you know, we think our freezers are, are, are cold, it's minus 20. This stuff needs to be kept cold at minus 70. It's a whole different scale of cold. And in part, it's because uh, RNA on its own will disintegrate in minutes at room temperatures. And the way that they managed to get this breakthrough, in fact, it was the last of the key breakthroughs that they managed to get, was to encapsulate the little bits of RNA with what is, uh, and I'm going to use the simplest term here, the nanolipid -partic nano particles. Effectively, a fancy formulated piece of fat. This allows it to go into our body, Help it, uh, it still triggers uh, an immune reaction, i.e. our body says, what is this? And starts sort of coming to the area and, and, and looking around the way bouncers might spot somebody who looks a little suspicious in a club, but not necessarily starts, uh, you know, a big fight. The little lipid protein also allows that when it comes in contact with a cell, the cell will allow it to enter into the, the, the cell itself. Now, this is when the next problem came along because that bit of RNA, again, isn't human RNA. It's been created. And when your body spots that, it says, ah, I see what you're trying to do here. Ignore it or reject it. And the researchers, again, managed to find out that there was a slight difference in how they were formulated and reconstructed the formulation so that the, the protein that they're creating is definitely a foreign protein, but it's crafted by a piece of RNA that will look like it's a piece of human RNA. The, the complexity in trying to understand just that simple bit in the literature was, wow, it took me a long time to get my head, the big oh yeah moment when I finally got that. And this was one of the things that um, Karinko holds the joint patent for, for having achieved. Uh, so now you have um, these elements coming together uh, and you, you might think, well, then how did they manage to do this so quickly? What was all the, the speedy stuff? Well, the effort started many, many years ago, as I said, and, and a lot of the research has been done for a while, but with people being a little hesitant about, you know, how long it would take and, and what it would cost. And so I'm going to turn to uh, the now very wealthy CEO of Moderna, Stéphane Blanchel. But back in 2011, just a, a year or two after the founding of Moderna, when they were still looking to set up what they were going to look to try and build with the company. Take a listen. We have always been paranoid. How do we not mess it up? When you understand you have a technology that can change society, impact so many millions of lives, how do, you, how do you build a company? Because if you look at the history of biotech companies, it's a very bad symmetry of dead companies. Why? Because it's tough. Less than 1% of the drugs started by biotech companies never make it to market. It costs a bloody fortune. 
and it's complicated. So what we told ourselves when we started is how do we do that? How do we not screw this unbelievable technology so we bring it to patients that are suffering? We first choose to have only one investor. Most biotech companies have many investors to de-risk. We said, no, we want one investor because we want to focus on building the company, not people fighting for how much money they're going to make. Then we decided to stay stealth. Most biotech companies, when they have a big scientific discovery, they go in the paper and so on and so forth. We say, no, we need to stay focused on the science. This is too big an idea to be defocused. So we were a team at Moderna. We feel very blessed. We feel this is the, most probably the only time in our lives that we will have a chance to really change the world. That was back in 2011. I like him. I, I, I like him. I like his choice of language. He's a, a flowery, fruity individual. <laughs> Indeed. And, and one thing that, uh, if I can use a technical term that he referred to, which comes up a lot with all of this research and, and why a lot of people sort of walked away from it, it's bloody expensive. The ingredients, the, the synthesizing of it, it's all very, very space age sort of uh, knowledge that we're looking to apply. In time, I'm sure it'll get cheaper, it'll get simpler, uh, and it'll be able to use it everywhere. In fact, I, I, I'm really grateful that you happen to have the shapeshifter on that is going to be from BioVac because we're doing the so-called uh, finish and fill idea rather than the synthesis and, and everything else. And so the notion of when more countries, more continents, more laboratories around the world have the capability of doing these things, that's when we really start unlocking uh, some of the true potential that this could have. Now, maybe it's worth my while pausing there for a moment uh, just to, to touch on vaccine efficacy and the potential for all of the conspiracies, because most of the conspiracies have related to these ones, the ones that people say, you're changing my DNA and you're injecting me with 5G and all these other great <sighs> things. Uh, and the notion is that all of the vaccines that we've got, regardless of the, the, of the RNA ones or the ones that are from deactivated viruses or weakened viruses or, or all the alternatives, the, effic the efficacy doesn't speak about whether or not you will get infected. The efficacy says, or the efficacy is to determine whether or not you will develop the worst of the symptoms that the researchers and the people who created the vaccines wanted to avoid. And so when something like uh, the Moderna and the Pfizer ones have got sort of a 90% uh, success rate, the efficacy, it, it says that means you will not not get infected. But that should you get infected, you will only either have mild symptoms and recover quickly. You may have some, you know, let's call it sort of moderate symptoms, but you won't have severe symptoms. You won't need to be hospitalized and you probably won't die. That's where they talk about the percentage effect, efficacy rate. And so if you can have a 60%, a 50% even, and say there's a 50% likelihood that you will avoid all of that stuff, that's worth doing rather than not doing it. Because now you've got no percent that says you might get severe symptoms, need to be hospitalized, or potentially die. Uh, but there is, it is understandable that with the sort of crazy difficult and hard to understand science that's involved in this, somebody who doesn't have that information would hear somebody tell them, oh, but did you know, you know, you know why it has to be so cold? Do you know that they're actually injecting bits of DNA into you? Which does sound scary and probably would have you want to say, reject it. But that's, that's the hesitancy part, and that I understand, and you know, li listening and reading would probably get to the point where you'll feel comfortable with it again. But the conspiracy stuff is where, where you need to draw a line, because for people to say that there is some grand conspiracy between these companies having developed it quickly, and it just happened to be researched in the laboratory where it happened to broke out, which is far too convenient, or that the companies that own these various technologies and are now making a, an absolute fortune, it's fair to say they are, uh, out of this uh, you know, carefully orchestrated for will happen well i'd ask each of those people to think about how hard it is in their personal lives to conspire to get their own family members to keep the <laughs> secret and not blab about some other cunning plan and it's hard and at the same time to note that supposedly for this to be this huge secret why it's readily available just by googling to find just about any conspiracy theory anything that'll tell you it's uh, it's you know it's the george soros's and the bill gates or it's the 
you know, the big, the big companies. So I, I get it and, and it's easy and the stuff is really complicated, but that's not it. And the final bit I want to mention is where potentially we can go with this. And we're still at early days. And so this is the bit where you need to modify the potential hope this offers uh, with the fact that it will take a long time. We, we got it right now because of all of that hard work that was done for the last 40 or 50 years. We potentially got another 5, 10, 15, 20 years to tackle the next ones. But the things that they could look to do is vaccines for all of the flus. One vaccine given at the beginning of the season, all of the flus taken oh. care of. We, we struggle with that at the moment. We can give you uh, or we can create vaccines that will cover multiple variants. As soon as we know what the new variant is, we encode it in the RNA. The piece of RNA you get will produce the proteins, the specific differences between each of them so you effectively get all of them in one go. There's the potential for a vaccine for HIV, for malaria, if, if we can pick out the right part of the, the life cycle about when we get infected with it, Zika viruses, and the big one, we may be able to start tackling cancer because cancer cells are unique to some degree, despite being sort of a you know skin cancer or a, a lymph cancer or whatever else, but each of them are slightly different. If we can sequence what that cancer cell is, we can use this RNA a process, tell our bodies to make the specific thing to detect that cancer and just that cancer. So our body goes into defense mechanism, something it does anyway in fighting off cancers, but become more effective at taking care of it rather than having to rely on the current method, which is to say, well, uh, kill a whole section of cells or, or, or do a big, you know, cut cells out or, or give radiation or chemotherapy to try and get rid of that sort of stuff. And so I think this is in a very encouraging field. It is still very early on. It is still very expensive. And there's a lot more testing that needs to be done to keep it and make sure that it is entirely safe. But we can be very grateful for the vision of people like Catalan Karinko 50 years ago, daring the rest of her colleagues to say, I know this is going to be very hard, but I think we should try. Colin Cullis, thank you for trying. Thank you for working through the interminable amount of scientific data that you had to, to tell us that story. It's a fabulous story. Thank you very much for sharing it.